From WDBM, East Lansing. You are listening to The The Undercurrent. Our weekly news and storytelling program. Made by and for the students of Michigan State University. You are listening to The The Undercurrent. Undercurrent. Hello and welcome to Season 11, Episode 11 of The Undercurrent. I'm your host, Cole Tunningly. And I'm sitting down with Julian Mitchell, the host of the Green and White Report. Okay, so the first story on today's episode is about a fan club for LeBron James. Okay. But it's made up entirely of grandmas from across (laughs) the country. I like it. Can you picture that? I can picture it. There's a bunch of grandmas in LeBron jerseys. They probably, that's like their pseudo grandson their grandson that like really wanted to play basketball but didn't make it they're like we have lebron now we we don't need you that's what it seems like they <laughs> they bust out to a lot of the games and Are watch you them and all, all sit together oh and, my gosh yeah and they have this great website that looks like it's from like 2005 but <laughs> i think they're still like updating it um yeah what is it about lebron that would make him an ideal grandson He's definitely, he's just, he's one of the nicest guys that you'll find in the NBA. He really cares. I mean, he, he just opened up his school this year for a, uh, under, underserved, in an underserved area for kids to go to. So he's just like the, the perfect, perfect grandson. And I mean, he's one of those, one of those guys that I think like a lot of grandmothers would love to just have. He does everything nice. He'll show up. He'll give you a kiss on the cheek. You can make him cookies. He'll accept it. And. It's just, it's what a grandma wants, you know, to show up to a game, just watch you play, watch you have a great time and do what you love. And LeBron's like the the exemplar for that. Moving on, our our second story on this episode is a little bit different. Uh, How do you feel about esports? I I have like a toe in the water of esports. I'm a huge, I actually, I really love watching Call of Duty. Uh, I love watching the pro gamers play Call of Duty. Big fan of of Optic Gaming. I love, um, I don't know if you know Nade Shot, he's like this... Uh, this esports guy. He played Call of Duty professionally, and now he like owns a team called Hundred Thieves, and uh, they're a really cool team. Drake is like invested in them, but so I have a toe in. I'm not fully into like everything from League or Smash, but I know a yeah. little bit about it. So there, so esports people are like starting teams. Do you think it's gonna get to the point where sports are right now, like um, OG sports? It's. It's gonna be tough. The thing with 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 esports versus, I guess, physical, athletic, whatever, however you want to uh, diversify them or define them, um, it's gonna be tough. Because one thing about sports that makes them stick around is that kids can just adopt it at such a young age. I mean, some kids grow up playing baseball or playing basketball, like since they were babies, they just get a, a little foam basketball to hold in their hand, and that grows it from there. While esports, it's hard to start that for like a little child because they're not gonna pick that up. Uh, and so that's one of the things that's going to be really difficult to try and get there and get kids to adopt because I think that's how you make it bigger is that becomes second nature to a lot of these kids. But I do think it can get close to being that big because I think with the way technology is, kids more and more are just going to be able to to do those things. It's going to become second nature to like work an iPhone and know how to know how to use it. And so for games and stuff, that hand-eye coordination, that movement, it's always going to be, I think, innate because you use technology so much in your life. And I think it's a it's a really cool thing, because I think there are a lot of kids who they are really good at games like Call of Duty or Super Smash, and they don't think about it as a potential career. 
but I think more and more you look at people on, even on YouTube who just play or Twitch stream, like that's getting bigger and bigger and that it's, it's an actual profession now. Yeah, it's getting huge. And today we're talking about Smash and okay. I know there are so many different intricacies to Smash and all the different like little moves you can do that you have to time within like one millisecond or something and that stuff is is wild to me and it seems to have the same level of like rigor that sports would mm-hmm. take but I still I see what you mean how there's no like equivalent to like those little plastic basketball hoops that we'd play on when we were a kid or like t-ball or training wheels like exactly there's no there's no little league for your kid to play <laughs> super smash and when they're like five years old you can't stick a controller in their hand and, and tell them to start playing a game but it's i mean if someone had told me when i was younger that you could turn like smash super smash into a career i mean maybe i would have gone a little harder at it i'm still just a button masher but oh me too me <laughs> too for definitely, sure <laughs> yeah, it could it, it's going to keep someone going i think that's the biggest thing is that there's going to show more and more avenues to become successful and i think a lot of kids will start to pick that up and want to run with that yeah i think that's something that's really positive about it is that really anybody even people with maybe disabilities can mm-hmm. play a video game and get to that professional level Thanks for coming on the show, dude. What are you talking about on the Green and White Report? No problem. Today we have we have a lot of stuff on the docket today. We're talking playoffs, NBA, and NHL. Uh, we we have some other. We're talking MSU baseball. We're doing an MSU year in review because it is uh, our last show uh, of the semester, the year, I guess, uh, until Ryan and I will come back uh, in August. So this will be our last one together. So two hours, eleven to one today. So make sure to tune in and got a lot of stuff to talk about coming up in half an hour. And thanks for being on the show. No problem. And coming up now is reporter Taylor Halterman's story about that LeBron James grandmother's fan club. Enjoy. The Quest. We finally reached the grandma stage. We've spread our love around. First our kids, and then their kids, and every kid in town. Since every child is special and gifted in their way, the list is long and never ends and multiplies each day. The latest kid that touched our hearts and brings us so much joy is six foot eight and could be known as Akron's golden boy. So rise up grannies everywhere. He makes our hearts tick. Who is this child from Akron now wearing number six? He has a dream to follow, but knows from whence he came. He is the king of every court. His name is LeBron James. Reads the poem written on the back of the LeBron James grandmother's fan club's Miami Heat t-shirts. And if that doesn't get across the point of the club, I don't know what will. The LeBron James Grandmothers Fan Club was established in Akron, Ohio in 2006 by the current president, Alder Chapman. Well, we all uh, started, (laughs) excuse me, looking at him when he was in uh, grade school, the Boys and Girls Club, and uh, he was good then. And uh, then we followed him up into high school. And he was not only good in basketball, but he was good in football. The club has been to almost every game LeBron has played in Cleveland, Ohio, along with a few games in Detroit. The members were also there when he signed with the Cavaliers. But uh, the first time I met him when he signed for the Cavaliers get-together at the uh, University of Akron, and we we had already started our club, and we had a our t-shirts on, and uh, that's when I took the picture with him. 
Even when LeBron left the Cavaliers in 2010, the grandmothers still showed their support. They bought Miami Heat t-shirts and followed their bylaws, which state anything he is involved in, they will be involved in. No matter what team LeBron is on, Alder always believes he will come back to Cleveland and they will continue to follow their motto. Oh, he's always coming back home. Grandmother Club is the motto is love and fun. I love for LeBron. I love, I love for uh, each other and love having fun. The club's motto extends to support off the court, too. We love him for his basketball. He's awesome on the, on the court, but he is just a, a beautiful person. There's a story about he had missed about 80 days in, in the school year, and he didn't want this to happen to the young people in, in Akron. So before he started, I promised school, he had classes start with the third graders. And uh, the counselors and the teacher would recommend children they, they thought would benefit for his program. And anytime things were going wrong, they'd give, him, uh, give LeBron the name, and LeBron would call him and talk to him. He is awesome. LeBron inspired the Grandmother's Fan Club to help out the community in their own way. So they started the LeBron James Grandmother's Mentoring Program about six years ago to work on young people's self-esteem. We have a mentoring program at the school. We mentor the young men and young ladies, too. Self-esteem. That's something that uh, LeBron is big on, wanting you to feel good about yourself. The LeBron James Grandmothers Fan Club is more than just a basketball club. They also focus on bettering their communities and do fun events together like the Kentucky Derby. To learn more or register to become a member, you can go to their website, lebronjamesgrandmothersfanclub.org. For Impact Student Radio, I'm Taylor Halterman. Welcome back to The Undercurrent. I'm your host, Cole Tunningley, and that was reporter Taylor Halterman. Coming up now is reporter Nick Sabo's exploration of the Super Smash Brothers Club here on campus. Hey, I'm Nick Sabo. Here at MSU, there is a huge variety of clubs and people with different interests. This week, I wanted to look into a specific group, the Super Smash Brothers Club. I had been to the club multiple times before, drawn by my own interest in the video game, but wanted to understand why so many people are drawn back to this club each week. The club itself hosts weekly tournaments with multiple brackets and lots and lots of gameplay. I went to one of the weeklies and asked the people there, why do they come to the tournaments? It's fun time, spend Friday nights with friends, just playing Smash for a long time. Just like kind of like test my skills, see how well I can do. I guess I enjoy the atmosphere in the, in the club, yeah. He is playing right now, but one of my friends told me. And he said, hey, you want to come to this? I was like, yeah, sure. Sounds like fun. I started, you know, bonding with the community, and I, just, and I just love it out here. I love how they let me, you know, be myself. I can be loud and obnoxious, and they like it for some reason. That's like, it's like a dream game. It's like, there's like a, there's literally a character for everybody. It's like perfect. Like, I want to play Smash. My friends play Smash. These people play Smash. It's a good atmosphere, you know? Like, there's, everyone's friendly, you know? Like, we're very, like, you know, like, hey, here are the rules. This is how you do stage bands and all that, which is, like, kind of intimidating to get into. And this is just a very welcoming community, and it's awesome, so. After that, I noticed that some guys over on the side were huddled around not one of the new monitors, but an old tube TV. I walked over to them, and it turns out they were playing an older version of Smash Bros called Super Smash Bros. Melee, which came out decades ago. 
I asked the guy who brought this setup why the game still remains popular and relevant. I think the, the love of the community for their own game almost has like a gravitational pull on other people. Like, you can't, you don't play like the game for almost two decades now and not like, like it a little bit. And I think that almost has like an effect on other people. But in terms of like actual gameplay, it's just, Melee is a game that's deeply technical and rewarding in a way that I have, haven't experienced in any other game hard stop. So, do you think that, that someone new just coming in would still be able to enjoy the game? No. Oh, God, no. Dude, listen, you don't go into Melee loving it. You hate that thing. You don't start Melee by loving it. Usually, I think the reason so many people got into it in the beginning is because like, they grew up with it and they like were able to work out like the weird, some it's clunky in the beginning. They were able to work that out when they were a kid. Um, for all the new people, they usually just see like the top players playing. They're like, "Oh man, that's sick! I want to try that." And then they're really bad for a really long time until they eventually get it. So it has a kind of effect of weeding out the people who really like don't want to be there too much. So, can you see melee ever, 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 ever dying out? Really? What makes, uh, the game what makes the game die out? I think it's lack of interest from the players. And as far as I can see, I don't think Melee is ever going to die, which is one of the reasons why I actually brought the setup in today, because, like, I don't know, I want to do my part. I really love the game, and I want to see it do well. I then proceeded to sit down and play against him, where he won handily twice. But that's not what matters. Everyone is there for the love of the game, and I felt that wholeheartedly. In talking about the club itself, I wanted to ask one of the main heads about their thoughts on both the game and the club. I invited the head of the club, Carter Prost, to have a sit-down with me in the studio. Could you talk about what Smash Bros. is? So, Super Smash Bros. is a fighting game created by Nintendo that brings together all of their iconic characters from their various different game franchises. So you have characters like Mario from the Mario franchise, Zelda Link from the Legend of Zelda series, um, and it's a fighting game. So something like Tekken or Street Fighter. You know, there are a lot of like different mechanics that make it a little different than other traditional fighters, but it's a fighting game with Nintendo's characters. And then the specific game that I want to talk about is the newest installment Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. So what is Super Smash Bros. Ultimate then? Super Smash Bros. Ultimate is the fifth installment of the Smash Bros. series. Uh, this one is on the Nintendo Switch. There's been Super Smash Bros. on the N64, on the GameCube, on the Wii, on the Wii U, and now we're finally here on the Switch. And it's called Ultimate for a reason. It has the largest cast out of any of the other Smash Brothers games. It has the largest amount of stages, the most amount of music. It really is like the ultimate version that they've come to for Smash. And how did you originally get involved with the club? Uh, well, I originally got involved with the club by actually founding it. So about two and a half years ago, it was uh, January of 2017, Back before Smash Ultimate was out, I was playing the Super Smash Brothers for the Wii U. And my first uh, year, my first semester, fall semester 2016, I had been playing Smash for the Wii U with my roommates. And I was like, oh, man, I really want to play this game with more people around campus. So I went to the current Smash Club that was here on campus, and they were playing Super Smash Brothers Melee instead of the one for the Wii U, which... 
is a little bit of a different game. It has a lot of different mechanics, and there's a little bit of a different community behind it. So I was looking to play the newer game, but they were all playing one of the older ones, which, you know, it's personal preference. But like, bummer, I wanted to play this game. So then moving into spring uh, of 2017 in January, that's when I was like, okay, you know what? There isn't a club for this. I'm just going to host a tournament in my dorm room and we'll see how many people show up. So I put a little sign on my front door and I um, do a little post in my dorm room Facebook page. Hey, I'm having a Smash Brothers tournament in my dorm room. Come sign up. And we get 16 people. We cram all of us inside for like one tournament. And everyone seemed to have a lot of fun. It was a new experience for me too because I hadn't really gone to a Smash Brothers tournament either, but I was like, well, I'm just going to host one anyway. And... Then people were like, okay, when are we doing this again? I was like, oh, I didn't really think about that. Hey, that, that might be pretty cool. How about we do it like two weeks from now? So I talked to my RA because my room was, I mean, 16 people in a dorm room. It's pretty small. Um, I talked to him about potentially getting a larger space. And we were in Snyder Phillips, uh, the dorm room in North Campus. And they have a bunch of classrooms that are like a lot larger. So my RA talked to some people and was able to get a room reserved for us that next Friday that we were going to be doing it. And then there we had like 20 people. It's like, okay, wow, a little bit more people showed up and we have the space for it. That's pretty neat. You know, let's start doing this every week. So we started doing that for about two or three more weeks. And then the Esports Association of Michigan State, they're a group that works to work as an umbrella group over all of the esports on campus. They heard about what we were doing and their president came to our weekly meetings and was like, hey, you know, you guys could become an official club. Also, you guys could be partnered with ESA of MSU. And on top of that, we have a really cool room in the Communication Arts and Sciences building that you could move to. So we were like, okay, yeah, sure, let's let's go through with this. Which at first we were a little nervous about because we're like, oh, well, we like where we've been meeting. Everyone knows where we're at. But then we were like, okay, but we're moving beyond just North Campus. We're be- we're going to become a whole campus wide thing. And once we got to Comarts, we started to get 40 people on a weekly basis. And we're like, okay, we're getting some pretty good numbers. And on top of that, the greater Smash scene of like the whole state of Michigan, they started to hear what we're doing too. Because there's Smash Brothers all around the state. There's a whole community for that. Um, so moving forward from that, uh, that year ended. And then at participation the following year when we were able to have our own booth and advocate for ourselves, that was really big. That, that we were able to, uh, you know... Uh, show everyone, hey, we're an official club, get the name out to everyone. We printed out hundreds of flyers, which we weren't able to do beforehand. And then we had 70 people. And I was like, wow, this is a lot of people. And then that like dropped down to like 60. So we settled about like 50 to 60 for the remainder of Smash 4. And then just this semester, um, the new game, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, came out and well, it came out um, in December, but we didn't start hosting like weeklies for Ultimate till this semester. And when that came out, our very first tournament, we had like 116 people show up. Everyone was wanting to try the new game. Everyone was like, whoa, this is crazy. And we're like, wow, this is so many people. And we're running like a little bit later than we normally do, but we're still able to get it done. And we were thinking like, okay, we got a lot of people the first one. It'll The number will probably drop down. It didn't really. We were at like 105, 103. 110 it's like it's, people keep on coming people are having a fun time and i guess that's sort of like the origin of how it started with super smash brothers for the wii u 
in my dorm room, 16 people. And now here we are over a hundred on a weekly basis with the new game on the switch. Uh, you talked about the esports association mm -hmm. and I wanted to quickly talk about esports because what defines an esport? Right. So esports refers to essentially video games on a competitive level um, similar to what you would see in like the sports world. Like, for example, um, you have football, which has their tournaments and everything. They have their professional teams. They travel around the world or around the country playing against other teams. Similar to that, if you look at a game like Overwatch or League of Legends, you have a team of people getting together and either online or for the large in-person tournaments, they'll also travel around the country or the world to play against each other. Um, what I always find interesting, if you're looking at both esports and then just sports in general, is from a spectator's point of view, it's the same thing. Um, as a spectator, you're rooting for a team, you're making fantasy brackets, you're betting on players, you're cheering in the crowd. It's the same sort of thing from a spectator's point. But the thing that really why esports has sports in it is that it has that competitive aspect to it, just like an, another sport would. People are just as competitive, just as driven to try to do well in those and to compete as they are in another sport. And then do you consider Smash to be an eSport then? Like, like what makes Smash special? Uh, so Smash is definitely an eSport. It's not quite the same eSport as what others would be because Smash is a fighting game and fighting games are 1v1. Versus if you look at a game like Overwatch or League of Legends, you have teams of five, teams of six going up against other teams. Smash is you're rooting for players. Now players do get picked up by other competitive teams like for instance there's like cloud nine or uh, team solo mid they have teams in league of legends they have teams in overwatch and then they have a player in super smash brothers instead of like a roster like you would see in other games so are you uh just to comparison it'd be more say as a tone to like boxing as opposed to football exactly that's actually a really good way of looking at it what makes smash this this special esport then the Smash scene is considered a grassroots community, which is built from the ground up. Without developer support, all of these tournaments are being hosted by people coming into the game with the passion. People are bringing the setups. People are bringing the prize pots. It's all the community pouring into it to make it what it is. And that's really what makes it special is that everyone's coming and contributing their part to make it a, a whole thing. I think uh, from a competitive aspect, uh, what Ultimate, from the Smash community's point of view, was hoping to be would be the bridge between Super Smash Bros. Melee and Super Smash Bros. for the Wii U. Because when uh, Smash 4 was out, like I said, even when I wanted to join the Smash Club and they were only playing Melee, um, there was this divide between the two communities. You either play Melee or you play Smash 4. And when Smash Ultimate were coming out, people were really hoping it would bring in mechanics from both games and create the perfect games that both communities could go to. And I think it got really close to that. There's a lot of players from uh, the Super Smash Brothers Melee Club that have come to our tournaments and continue to come. They're really enjoying the game. Um, but I think it's missing a few areas of the gameplay that, I mean, I a little more interesting to some players who might, get like they you know that's boring or whatever um 
I feel like the game is really close to being the best Smash game, though. And the great thing is, while Nintendo doesn't fully support the community, like the uh, competitive community, they still patch the game. They still come out with updates here and there. Maybe they're listening a little bit. Maybe things will start to change a little bit. So I think it's got time to fix itself to get to the point where both the Super Smash Brothers Melee and for Wii U communities will find a perfect balance and create something even bigger. I think it's close. Do you think Ultimate is here to stay? It is here to stay until the next Super Smash Brothers, <laughs> which will be on whatever Nintendo's next console is, which I don't think they have any plans on a new one anytime soon. The Switch is thriving right now, one of the fastest selling consoles of all time. It's incredibly successful. So I think it's here to stay for quite a while. I think it's incredible how widespread that this game is, how widespread it's going to become. And I'm just excited to see where like Smash goes from here, where esports grows from here, and just kind of where we're all going to be. Me too. Cool, cool. And then you have anything else to say? Do you want to, I don't know, pop in a thing like, hey, my Twitter is... Uh, yeah, my Twitter, it's artisan underscore editor. Uh, drop me a follow. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You're tuned into The Undercurrent on Impact 89 FM, and I'm your host, Cole Tunningly. Coming up now is a little treat we have for you. The news team and the sports team are crossing over. Julian Mitchell of the Green and White Report and Sophie Sagan from the Undercurrent sat down with each other to talk about a very strange story from sports history. Here it is. Hey, y'all. It's Sophie Sagan, uh, your Impact Undercurrent reporter. You've heard me before. Um, I'm here with Julian Mitchell. He's going to help us out with the Undercurrent news um sports crossover today um and for this segment we're gonna tell a i'm gonna tell him a ridiculous sports story um julian do you have a favorite ridiculous sports story of your own i don't have a favorite they're all just really great anything ridiculous about fans usually being drunk or just unruly or like my favorite stories what idiots do dumb things is just it's amazing perfect I'm so glad you said that because one of my favorite ridiculous sports stories is the story of the 10 cent beer night in Cleveland in Ooh, okay. the 70s. Have you heard this one before? I have not heard this one. In the 70s too? Yeah. Oh, okay, this is old school. Yeah. All right. We're going back in time. Cool. Okay. I'm glad you don't know a lot about it. And I can't wait to tell you about one of the most destructive nights in baseball history. Wow. I'm excited. Okay. So the story of 10 cent beer night, it's in 1974, June 4th. 1974. It takes place in Cleveland Stadium. But before we talk about like the actual mm -hmm. night in question, I think there are like two pieces of background information. Um, first off, in 1974, Cleveland's baseball team was called the Cleveland Indians, and they were really, they really were not that good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Indians. <laughs> and so the second thing you need to understand is that the actual night takes place June 4th, 1974. Okay. On May 29th, 1974. Uh, Cleveland had lost 3-0 to the Texas Rangers in Arlington Stadium. This game was sort of the setup for what would become 10 Cent Beer Night a week later. The game in Texas was actually, it was pretty ugly. The bottom of the eighth, the teams had like left their benches to brawl it out. Like after two, two of the players had gotten in some kind of <laughs> scuffle near first base and then everybody left. You know, also the Rangers fans were like un, like normally unruly that night and like one of the Indians players had to be restrained from like 
crawling up in the stands. And fighting like... a fan? Yeah. Okay, that's 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 all. I mean, it's you never want to see it, but that's hilarious. I don't know. You remember the Malice in the Palace? No, tell me. Ron Artest, uh, the, the Pistons a long time ago. But basically, I think a fan threw a cup or something. And Ron Artest runs into the stands and getting a huge fight with the fan in there. And it's it's like one of the, the craziest moments in like basketball sports history is like Ron Artest going out and fighting a fan. Oh, my gosh. OK, so same idea. I don't think this guy got as far. I don't think he got into the stand. But okay, he was like pulled good. back down. So anyway, all of this is to say that like it was a really contentious game. Indians fans and Rangers fans obviously didn't like each other very much and all of this was only made worse by like a comment that one of the rangers managers made after the game billy martin was the manager and he told a reporter that he really wasn't worried about any backlash in cleveland because and this is a quote they won't have enough fans there to worry about Ooh, right that's a good okay yeah so that comment's just sort of like the equivalent of throwing like salt in the wound (laughs) at this point um and maybe wasn't the smartest move because again this next game between the Rangers and the Indians was scheduled for, like, only one week later. One week, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, all of these pissed-off Cleveland fans, like, really weren't about to forget this injustice and, like, comment after one week. And it really just gave grounds to this, like, grudge and rivalry. Okay, I um, like this. I like the setup. All right, so that's the background. That's it. Okay. So the night of Tencent Beer Night. You know, Texas Rangers made their way to Cleveland, but they had, like, no idea what was in store for them because to promote this game... Cleveland Stadium had promised a 10-cent beer night, uh, which meant that you could buy 12 ounces of beer for only a dime. That's smart. Yeah, right? That's... Nothing can go wrong. No. The promotions. Can you guess how much maybe beer usually was at a game? 10 cents is what they went down to. It's the 70s. It's something super cheap. It's got to be like, I don't know. Five bucks? Wow, you went high. But, um, well, 65 cents, actually. So this was actually an 85% discount. <laughs> now, granted, you could only buy six beers at a time, but there was absolutely no limit to the amount of times that you could go back for more. Hmm. I wonder, what, what was the thought process behind that? Like, I see the, 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 you get six beers at once. That was like, okay, cool, we'll limit how many they can get at once, but they can get as many as they want to. Who knows? uh, Why? Maybe they thought, like, you can only carry six beers at a time. We don't want beer all over the place. They'll start spilling (laughs) it. I don't know. That's my own thought. The funny thing is, too, they'd actually done this before. They'd had five-cent beer nights in the past that had gone off, I mean, compared to what's going to happen, relatively well. Needless to say, people showed up for this game, over 25,000 People showed up, actually, um, which was double the amount they were expecting. And, I mean, unsurprisingly, a, like a good, a significant amount of people really only came for the beer. Of course. In, right, yeah. And <laughs> in 1974, the legal drinking age was only 18. So the crowd was a lot younger. You might say more immature. And I should also mention that a ticket to this game was only 50 cents. So you could go to the game with a dollar, get in, and still have enough for five beers. This is a steal. This is... I mean, if I had been 18 in 1974, that sounds like a good time. So, as one might expect, (laughs) um, fans got drunk pretty quickly. But the majority of the first half of the game was, I mean, relatively harmless shenanigans ensued. One woman flashed the crowd. A father and son team um, got onto the field and mooned the stands. Um, Another guy streaked uh, wearing nothing but his socks. Wow. Yeah. Why keep the socks? That's... I don't know. I want to know. I want to know He that. did lose one of them as he was running. Um, oh, this is one sock. Yeah. Um, Why did they all choose to just take off or expose themselves? All three just were 
We got mooning, flashing, and then just straight up streaking. It- I don't know. One woman tried to kiss the umpire. There were other wow. people, you know, they just got on to the field and were kind of running around. But all in all, you know, nothing disruptive happened. Or it was disruptive, but nothing destructive. It was more annoying yeah. than Can be dangerous. Contained. Right. Yeah. Um, so the game goes on. Fans get increasingly intoxicated and, like, start getting a little bit more belligerent. They would throw things at the players and... Back at the beer cart, this is another interesting thing. Things are getting pretty out of hand. There was actually only one beer cart and two girls working the beer cart. Wow. So one girl would take the money. One girl would attempt to hand out the beers as they were ordered. Things were going okay again, but as people got more and more wasted, they started harassing the girls. And then at some point, a couple of guys picked up a table and just threw it at the cart. I don't know what was in their minds or what they were trying to accomplish, but at that point, the girls were like, Screw it. I'm done. I quit. They walked off leaving the beer cart. <laughs> totally unattended to. And things were only going to get worse from there. Of course. It's the only way they can go. Yep. Yeah. So, um, you know what? It looks like it might be time for the Green and White Report. I think it is. We're almost there. Yeah. All right. Do you want to do your introduction? Yes. All yes. Right. Bad snap. Bobble. Oh! Scooped oh! up. Here come the Spartans. Touchdown, MSU! From WDBM East Lansing, you're listening to the Green and White Report, a production from Impact Sports. This is your source for sports news, debates, and more for Michigan State, Detroit, and the rest of the sports world. And there we go. That is the music for the Green and White Report. It's time. Everyone's favorite sports radio show, 11 to 12 on Sundays. I'm Julian Mitchell. Starting us off today because Ryan Rabinowitz, my co-host, is is running late. He typically does these things. Um, I made it here first today to the studio, so I'll get us started. We're here with Sophie Sagan. She's the host of The Undercurrent. And before, if you were listening to The Undercurrent, she was telling me a story about 10 cent beer night at Cleveland Stadium. The Cleveland Indians and the Texas Rangers playing in a game that went very, very wrong. And she told us the first half, and now she's about to tell me the second half. And where we left off, things are about to get way, way worse in Cleveland Stadium. So, Sophie, take it away. I'm going to sit back and listen to this unfold. That's right. Okay, so, um, yeah, so anybody just tuning in, all you really need to know is, yeah, Cleveland Indians, Texas Rangers are playing each other in 1974. And as a promotional sort of event, the Cleveland Stadium had promoted a 10-cent beer night, meaning that you could buy... Uh, 12 ounces of beer for just a dime, and there was no limit to the amount that you could have. So where we left off, we're actually in the final inning now of the Indians-Rangers game. Um, and the Indians had actually brought the game back. If we remember, they really weren't that great a team. They were losing 5-1, to one, and they brought it back to tie it. And the energy at this point in the stadium from the fans is much more hostile than it was in the beginning. <laughs> fans are no longer slap-happy drunk, but they're getting sort of belligerent. It's my favorite kind of drunk. you just wait (laughs) so here's where something happens that makes this night really unforgettable uh in the bottom of the ninth so that thing is 19 year old terry yurkic um yurkic jumps from the stands into the outfield and he said that he was really just interested he wanted to get the hat off of the head of one of the rangers outfielders so one does 
as one does. He he does get up to him and he takes his hat, but in retaliation, the, the outfielder turns around and sort of kicks at, at Yurkic, but at the same time loses his balance and falls down. So seeing this, the Rangers team manager tells the team, grab your bats, we're going to go defend our guy because he, he thinks that he's being attacked. So they do, and all of the Rangers on the field and in the dugout rush out to the outfield. Oh my goodness. Um, Seeing this, hundreds of fans pour onto the field and head straight for no this way. Rangers huddle around Yurkic and chaos ensues. It's reported, too, that they had knives, chains, glass bottles. You know, they brought these kind of weapons with them. Just right to the stadium? <laughs> yeah, it was the 70s, man. Like, <laughs> just, I, you, you never know where you can need your knife at a baseball game. <laughs> I guess not. You might get into you know a fight with the the baseball team. It was also reported that a handful of people literally ripped up part of the stands. Like, those, the seats were metal. Yeah. And they ripped those out and brought those. One of the managers eventually would get hit in the head with one and would have to go to the hospital. So this is where, like, the riot oh my goodness. really begins to take shape. Seeing that the Rangers are starting to be overtaken by fans, the Indians team now is ordered to grab their bats to go defend the lives of the Rangers. Oh, my gosh. So it's just an all-out brawl between the Texas Rangers, the Indians, the fans, and it just goes downhill from there. So, yeah, like I said, people had to go to the hospital. It didn't actually end up lasting too long, but they did end up ending the game. They did not finish the game. (laughs) It's probably good. Probably didn't have enough players after that. Yeah, some of them were being rushed off the hospital. They're all getting hit in the head with... It was, that's kind of the story. The story ends in a brawl. Um, the security at the stadium couldn't handle thousands of people. So the police are brought in to kind of escort everyone else out. So all in all, the point is it was a mess. Yeah, that was it was more than a mess. That was that's ridiculous. That's a that's they basically went to war. Yeah. Like 25 you said it was 25,000 fans. <laughs> I mean, sure most of them came out onto the field. And then both teams just came out and fought. Belligerent as hell. Wow. Like, intoxicated. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't even know what I would do in a situation like that. I think if I saw a baseball team running at me with bats, I'd be out of there. But, yeah, it, they needed the the cops to come and the Cleveland oh police goodness. to come escort people out. Yeah, so the game was ended and it was forfeited to Texas. In conclusion, there are a couple weird little things that are sort of side notes in the end. All of the bases were stolen and never returned. And you would think, how long do you think it took Cleveland to do another 10-cent beer night? Oh, they probably, next week. Month, yeah. Next month. (laughs) Uh, This time, though, fans were limited to two drink tickets. Um, See, there we go. That's, you, all you have to do is be smart the first time. You would have think if there had just been limitations. That's such a Cleveland thing. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to Joe Dandridge. He's a sports guy from Cleveland, but that's just a Cleveland thing. Oh, Cleveland. So, uh, yeah, my very last thing, I think this is my absolute favorite part of the story. Um, so do you remember the, the 19-year-old Terry Yurkic? Oh, yeah. Good buddy Ter- Terry Yurkic. Yep. He's the one who kind of started started the the mayhem. He still lives pretty close to Cleveland. He lives in a suburb of Cleveland. And in 2000, the year 2000, um, he won citizenship of the year for his small suburb. Wow. Who, who knew? Who knew? Who knew? That's wow. my favorite part. That I love that. That was his turning point. When he tried to take the hat and then probably got beat up on the field, he realized, I can't do this anymore. Oh, I'm sure. Well, it in, ends well for him. So ends I guess well that's for- a good. <laughs> he probably he probably took a base. Yeah. And he just like has the base at his house. He's citizen of the year. Like... 
He's living his best life. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, that's my story. Thanks for listening. Great. Any, no problem. Thank you. Any final thoughts? I still that that might be one of the craziest stories I've heard. I still Malice in the Palace is like the biggest like player fan thing that like I can remember, but this this might top it. Sweet. That was a full out Game of Thrones level brawl. I'm glad that just I just in the middle of a field. I I wish I could have seen that. Great. I'm glad I could add it to your list of stories. It was great. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sophie, for coming in and telling us the story. And thanks for having me on The Undercurrent. It was great to be a part of your guys' show. Absolutely. This is a fun time. Shoot again. Great. Yeah, we're going to have to do it again sometime. But for now, we're going to continue on with the Green and White Report. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with all things sports for you to talk in. Ryan Rabinowitz will probably show up. We'll, we'll see if he's here. But we'll be back after this. Music.